So if you have been here the last couple of weeks, you have been following along in our journeys with snow. Two weeks ago, I came out guns blazing. I was a little bit harsh. I said I hated snow. I spoke very, very ill of snow. I felt guilty that whole week, and last week I decided to offer an olive branch to those that love the snow, and I told you that you could have as much Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday snow as you wanted. Here's the thing, you took advantage of my generosity, and so I am rescinding that offer, and we are just going to spring in Jesus' name. That's, you can't take advantage of that generosity. You took advantage of it this week, so... Spring it is. We need spring. Sorry to my snow lovers. You've gotten your chance, right? It's, it's our turn now for warm weather. Oh, man. Let's jump in. Uh, yes, no more. No more. It's going to be warm this week, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be warm this week. Maybe that'll just be the start of it, and we'll just go right into spring and summer. <laughs> All right, let's dive in. So I imagine every parent here has experienced this at some point. And I suspect that you have probably experienced it with every single one of your children. It is what I call the I do it myself stage. Everybody experienced that? All my parents in here? It's the I do it myself stage. In the case of my Lily, it is the I got it stage, right? So I'll try to help her do something that I've always helped her with. And she kind of looks at me and says, I got it. I got it. All right. All right. We know that as children grow, they will inevitably reach that stage where they are able to do more things for themselves, and they want that independence. They want to be big kids. They don't want mommy and daddy babying them anymore. I'm currently starting to see this with my little Jubilee, and I just don't know how to feel about that. So this can be both a good thing and perhaps not a good thing. This can be both exciting and terrifying. Now, it's exciting because it is really cool to see your kids taking charge and accomplishing things and the pride they have in it, right? Let's be real. It's sort of nice when your kids get old enough and they can wipe their own snotty nose. Anybody agree with that? That's, I don't miss wiping snotty noses. However, this can also be a bit terrifying because eventually this independence will mean that they want to pick out their outfits for themselves And there will be a time when you must live with the fact that they are going to pick an outfit out that does not match at all. And you know when you're out in public, people are judging you harshly. You know it. However, kids aren't the only ones who like their independence. We all sort of like our independence. Because I think we're all probably guilty of this same sort of attitude at points in our walk with Christ. And if we aren't careful, as we go along in our walk with Christ, it can be pretty easy to form this mentality of, I got this, I can do this, I can do this all by myself. Now, maybe we wouldn't be bold enough to actually say that to God, but through our actions, we sort of tell him, I got this, I got it, I'll do this by myself. Now, don't misunderstand, I believe that God created each one of us uniquely And just like an earthly father, he loves it when his children learn who they are in him and who he created us to be, and we begin to walk in it. He has put talents and giftings inside of us, and it brings him great joy when we walk in them. However, 
No matter how talented or gifted a person is, they will never walk in everything that God desires for them in their lives without the close and personal relationship with him. See, he desires to anoint what he created in us with the power of the one who created us. And there's only so much that we can accomplish in our own strength to be everything that he created us to be and to make a truly significant impact in this world. We need to take those giftings, those talents, who God created us to be, and then as co-heirs with Christ, walk in Holy Spirit power so that we can accomplish more than we could ever on our own. And so his desire and what he wants to accomplish in this world is far greater than what I think many in the modern church are willing to believe. But he is willing to empower and equip all who are willing. And that is where we're going to begin today in the book of Acts, our need for his power in our lives. And so it is week two in our series in Acts. Last week, I covered Acts chapter one, verses one to three, which means at that pace, I'm eventually going to be standing here saying it's week 912 in our series in the book of Acts. But I think we'll pick up a little bit. You'll actually see that. We'll cover a little bit more. There's sections in Acts where we'll cover bigger chunks. We'll get through it. So let's recap this morning and then dive in. So last week, we started with the background for the book of Acts. So if you missed that sermon, I highly recommend you go back, check it out on YouTube, or check out the podcast of the sermon. But the main point we began with is that the book of Acts provides a picture of what the church, any church, can be and what they can accomplish when they are sold out to the mission and the calling of Christ and they're walking in Holy Spirit power. And we saw that while Acts has many historical details, it is not merely a history lesson. We don't just study the book of Acts, rather we are called to live it. And what we are called to live out is the reality of God's kingdom that has come to the earth. So the church is not a building, but a people and a movement who are called to serve as the agents of advancement for that kingdom. We as a church, Bethel Assembly of God, have a mandate to be a place where people can come and encounter God where they can come to this church and they can be healed, they can be discipled, they can be empowered, and then they are sent out. And then we as a church are then called to go forth to take that same sort of transformational power to our community. So we as a church must have the transformation of people's lives and the transformation of our community as our mission, which led to us unveiling Bethel's new mission statement last week. How many remember it? Go ahead. I was hoping for a stronger response there. Come on, we got to know it. Our new mission statement for the church, on earth as it is in heaven. Should be easy for us all to remember that one. So our mission is to be kingdom-minded people who have been transformed and are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, who then go forth in Holy Spirit power to advance that kingdom in our world. And that's what we're going to start with today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Acts chapter 1. And we are going to look at verses 4 through 11 today. The verses will be up on the screen. It says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so let's jump back and hit verses four and five and dive in. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then verse five, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So as we discussed last week, Christ was with the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection before ascending back to heaven. And here, Luke records that on one of those days in that 40-day window, Christ gave the command to his disciples that they were to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift from the Father. And then verse 5 tells us that that gift that has been promised is that they will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of us, we will probably consider this as one of the most difficult commands that Jesus ever gave his disciples. They were to wait. They were to wait. How many people here just love waiting around? Anybody? I don't think there's anybody that loves just waiting around. Is there anybody in this room that has just sort of mastered patience and you feel like you can just sit in a waiting room watching everybody else get called back for an hour and it doesn't bother you? Exactly. Nobody likes to wait. Now, I will fully admit, I am not a fan of waiting around. I am a person of action. I like to get things done. Now, while I am a pretty social person, which I know is shocking to most of you, what I will say is that if there is a job that needs to be done, I don't want to stand around and shoot the breeze. I want to get that job done as fast as we possibly can. Now, I imagine the disciples must have had this exact same thought. Jesus, you previously told us to go make disciples of all nations. Jesus, there's people out there that are just waiting to hear the good news. How can you tell us to just sit around and wait? Jesus, how are we going to make disciples of all nations if we are just sitting around here waiting for something? Now, as hard as waiting can be, we should recognize a couple of very important things that take place when we learn to wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 tells, it that, tells us that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, this waiting isn't just sitting around mindlessly twiddling our thumbs. This waiting isn't just sitting around wasting time away on our phones. That word in Isaiah 40, 31 has the sense to it of expectation and hope. Some translations actually translate that as those who hope in the Lord. So when we wait upon the Lord, it is recognition that our hope is found in him and our strength comes not from striving, but from resting in him. See, waiting upon the Lord renews our strength because it is in the place of expectation and communion with God that we are actually empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we wait upon the Lord, it's also recognition that his timing is perfect. He sees the big picture and he is working things out for the ultimate good. Now, it can be very difficult to wait. I imagine in some ways the disciples probably were struggling with that themselves. It's tough sometimes to just wait around. 
And it can be very difficult if you're in a season where you feel like God is telling you to wait, especially if you're seeking a breakthrough from God. But in those moments, we are learned to trust him, draw closer to him, and recognize that a season of waiting can serve as a launch pad to a season of breakthrough. So if you are in a season of waiting this morning, I want you to have hope and expectation in God because that season of waiting can become your launch pad to a season of breakthrough. Now this command for Jesus to tell us to wait, the disciples to wait, also tells us just how important the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is in the lives of believers. Right? The power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers, in the disciples, was so important that Jesus said, don't do anything else until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. Power from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying, you need to be empowered before you can effectively go do what I've called you to do. And this is what we said earlier, the calling of Christ for our lives and on the church is to greater things than what we can accomplish simply through our own strength. We need his power to accomplish it. The disciples here, they had been with Jesus for over three years. They had been taught by him. They spent their lives with him for three and a half years. And yet Jesus says, there is still something more that you need in your life. If you're gonna do what I've called you to do, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this would have made perfect sense, I believe, to the disciples, because this was really just Jesus calling them to follow in his example. So if we remember when Jesus' public ministry began, he was 30 years old, and his public ministry began after his water baptism when the Holy Spirit came and rested upon him. So in the exact same manner, the disciples' ministry was to begin when they received the Spirit. If that is the case, then that means we, as the modern church today, must also be seeking the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives for ministering well. Jesus was the forerunner. He showed the normal Christian life, and it was a life that was empowered by the Spirit. And now, because of Christ's death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit would be available to all who would believe. See, we take the Holy Spirit for granted because we have access to him in a way that people before Christ never did. See, the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christ's followers was the fulfillment of many prophecies of the Old Testament given hundreds of years before Christ, all looking forward to and anticipating this time. The Holy Spirit living in and resting upon all believers was long anticipated and was now made available through the work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection and his pouring out the Holy Spirit. See, we got to remember that before Christ died and raised from the dead, people did not have access to the Holy Spirit in that way. The Holy Spirit had not taken up residence inside of people. He had not been poured out in that way. And so what the Old Testament saints looked forward to, Jesus was saying, is now about to become available. So let's look at some of those verses that actually speak to this. And these are all promises from the Old Testament that looked forward to this time. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20, it says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. 
Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Isaiah 32, 15 says, till the spirit is poured on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest. Isaiah 44, three, for I'll pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Joel 2, 28 and 29. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women. Zechariah 12:10 and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me the one they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son. And then one more Mark 1:8 it says I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now in the Old Testament you can read about how God's spirit would rest upon certain individuals to empower and enable them to complete a mission that they had from God. You see this in various places throughout the Old Testament. So as early as Exodus, you see the spirit coming and resting upon Bezalel to enable his work on the tabernacle. He was a craftsman. Now, I think this is an amazing picture that the Holy Spirit, the first time it mentions him being poured out, was actually to rest upon somebody to enable them to do the work that God has called them to do. That's an amazing picture that the Holy Spirit wants to supernaturally enable us in our daily lives, in our work, in our hobbies, all to make an impact for the kingdom. Now, in the book of Judges, you see the Spirit rest upon the various judges for a time period. God would raise up a judge. He would put the Holy Spirit upon them to see Israel freed from their enemies. Later, you see the Spirit rest on Saul a number of times. And then many times throughout the prophets and more, you see the Holy Spirit coming in a temporary manner to enable somebody in the Old Testament to do what God called them to do. But the verses that we read looked forward to a time when the Spirit of God wouldn't rest on just a few, and it wouldn't be temporary, but he would come and live inside of all who accept Christ and he would empower all who press in to receive more. The work of the Holy Spirit in God's people, Jesus was saying, is now entering a whole new season. So these verses from the Old Testament, they fall into two categories of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer. The first is salvation leading to regeneration and then baptism leading to empowerment. So we're going to start first with salvation. Salvation is not merely a decision we make to follow Christ. It begins with a decision to follow him, but in doing so, a supernatural work takes place, whereby we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ positionally, and the Holy Spirit arrives in our lives. We are born again, born of God, born of the Spirit, the old nature is cut off and we receive a new nature made to be like Christ. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us and it can be said that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So receiving Christ, praying a prayer to go to heaven is not what we're called to do. Rather, it's called to be death to the old way of life and death to self so that Christ can cut off that fallen nature so that we can be reborn 
and grow up into everything that God has, for, has purpose for our lives. So the verses we read earlier, the verses from Ezekiel speak to the salvation experience for all who accept Christ. It tells us that we will receive a new heart and God will put a new spirit, literally the Holy Spirit in us. He takes the heart of stone that each of us have been born with and replaces it with a heart of flesh. So every single believer who has come to Christ for salvation and has been born again has the Holy Spirit living in them. Now, this is the first category of the work of the Holy Spirit we'll look at today, but there's more. See, there's also what Jesus tells his disciples in verse five, that they will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The word baptized means immersed. So similar to being immersed in water, we are also to be immersed or baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. All of these terms, baptism, filling, immersion, they all refer to the exact same thing. It is a second work of the Holy Spirit after salvation, though it can come at the same time. You say, well, how do we know there's this second work of the Holy Spirit? Well, check out John 20, verse 22. It says, and with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So here we see Jesus after the resurrection and he's with the disciples and it says that he breathed on them and he gave the Holy Spirit to the disciples. Now, this would have been regeneration, rebirth that we talked about. But then we see in Acts that Jesus tells these exact same disciples who he had breathed on and received the Holy Spirit for salvation that they needed to wait in Jerusalem and now also be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There is a second work of the Holy Spirit that Christ refers to as the baptism of the Spirit that we will read in verse 8 is for receiving power God's power in our lives, All right? So I know that's a lot. So let me just kind of break this down a little bit, quickly recap. The word of God speaks of multiple, but today we're looking at two different works of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. There is his work in salvation and being born again, and there is a baptism and immersion in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, why two different works of the Holy Spirit? Well, there are two different purposes for these two works. See, salvation is the spirit inside of us and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit resting upon us. See, the spirit inside of us is like taking a drink of water. The spirit resting on us is like taking a shower. The spirit inside of us is primarily for us, all right? It makes us new creations in Christ and then the Holy Spirit begins his work in us to make us more like Jesus, and so when we receive the Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit begins to form the character of Christ. The Holy Spirit begins to form the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now the Holy Spirit resting upon us, that second work that we talked about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is not so much for us, but for others. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives to make us more like Christ, but in this case, it's not focused on the character of Christ, but on the power of Christ. It is power for witnessing and the power of the Spirit operating through our lives. The Holy Spirit upon us is to supernaturally give, empower gifts of the Spirit in our lives. Laying hands on the sick for healing, prophecy, words of knowledge, supernatural wisdom for situations. It's for giftings, it's for service, it's for administration, for generosity, and so much more. The Holy Spirit is in me for me, and he rests upon me 
for others. Right? That's a good way to just sum that up. Holy Spirit is in me for me to form the character of Christ in me, but he wants to come and rest upon me to empower me to impact others. We need Holy Spirit in us and Holy Spirit upon us so that we can be like Jesus, both in character and power. So in a couple of weeks, when we get to chapter two, we're gonna dive further into the purposes of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But for today, I want us to recognize what it is, and I want everyone to know that it is his intention for all believers, for all believers. Now, however, here is where I believe so many sermons fall short when it comes to the teaching of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And where so many sermons fall short is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is almost taught as if it is some sort of rite of passage, as if it's supposed to be some one-time event. See, you have people that go around in the church, and I'm not criticizing the Assemblies of God. I love the Assemblies of God. But for ministers, if you're trying to get credentialed, they ask a question and it says, were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? And it's one of the requirements. You gotta be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm good with that. But the problem is, is you have people that are like, oh yeah, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit like 30 years ago. I'm good. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. What else do I need? We almost teach baptism in the Holy Spirit as if it is some sort of one-time event, a rite of passage. But that is entirely the wrong question to ask because this is not meant to be a one-time event. See, these same disciples that we are gonna see baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit when we get to Acts 2 are then also filled once again when we get to Acts 4. So yes, there may be a first time we have this type of encounter with the Holy Spirit, but the first time is never meant to be the only time. But rather, this is to be a lifelong desire of ours to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. See, instead of asking, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? The question we should be asking is, when was the last time you were filled with the Spirit? When was the last time that God showed up and you gave yourself so completely to him and you were absolutely rocked by the Spirit of God? When was the last time? Right, we can't live off of being baptized in the Spirit 30 years ago. No, God has something fresh for you now. He wants to fill you over and over and over again. Now, this most certainly can happen, and it should happen on our own, but I also believe this is one of those really important reasons why we gather together as a body, why it is so important for us to be here together, because God loves to pour out His Spirit on His people collectively and together. See, we'll see that in Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, that when they were together and unified, God poured out something powerful upon them. See, my prayer and desire is that we would have people being filled and refilled at this church every single time we meet together. That there would be hunger in this church for the spirit and that we would press in to receive it every single week. That there would be such passion and desire to be here because none of us wanna miss what's going on. We should be seeking it out over and over and over again. If you've never had this encounter with God, I want you to seek it out today. If you've been filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to just rest on your laurels. I want you to say, Jesus, I want you to come fill me once again. We should be seeking it out over and over again. There is always more for us. 
Luke eleven thirteen says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, hunger attracts the presence of God. Hunger attracts the presence of God. Are we hungry for him this morning? My prayer over and over again is thank you, Father, for all that you've done. I'm completely satisfied in you, but I am so desperate for more. May that be the cry of all of our hearts. Father, we are satisfied in who you are, but we are so absolutely burning with desperation for more of you and for what you want to do. May it be the cry of our hearts. We're gonna take some time today and we're gonna press into this thing at the altar. So prepare your hearts now. I want you to prepare to press in today for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life and on this church. See, I'm a big proponent that if we preach on something, we had better respond to it. We've probably all sat through sermons where somebody preaches on healing and then they don't even invite people to be healed, right? If we preach on something, we need to give God the opportunity to come and confirm his word. This morning, I'm declaring that God wants to fill you over and over and over again. And so I want you to prepare your hearts at the end of this sermon to come press in at these altars for a fresh filling from God. So after this, moving along here, we spent a lot of time on those verses. After this, the disciples ask a question to Jesus in verse six that he answers in verse seven. And in verse six, it says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. So what we see here is that the disciples still didn't quite understand what Jesus was really up to. Here we see that the disciples are still looking for and asking Christ if he is going to establish a political kingdom. So remember, at this time, they were subjugated to the Roman Empire, and many Jews at that time anticipated a warrior Messiah coming to liberate them politically and to establish an earthly political kingdom. So because of this expectation, they were still getting their heads wrapped around the fact that the kingdom Christ established when he came to the earth is a spiritual kingdom And the battles are not waged with flesh and blood humans, but in the spirit with principalities and powers. See, Christ was not coming to war with humans and subjugate them against their will. He came to war with demonic forces that were subjugating the people and through his death and resurrection made a way for people to be set free and willingly enter into his kingdom. The disciples kind of missed it. They had this idea that just didn't line up with what Jesus was doing. Now, lest we be too harsh on the disciples, we should recognize that if we aren't careful, we can make the same mistake they did in our day. All right, and I'm going to step carefully here because this can open a big can of worms. Isn't that a fun way to just start something here? So don't jump to conclusions. I need you to work with me on this one. All right, everybody promise you're not going to jump to conclusions here. I didn't hear anybody promise. The kingdom of God will not be advanced through political means. Now stay with me. Some of you are like, wait a minute, what's he doing here? Stay with me. I absolutely believe we should vote. I absolutely believe we should look to elect people who have good godly values. We must stand for justice and laws that honor godly values. However, all of these things in and of themselves 
will not bring about the true change that we desire to see. See, we should be active in the political spectrum, but recognize that politics tries to work from the outside in, but the gospel works from the inside out. Recognize that this morning. So the laws of the land, they will always reflect the hearts of the people. Whatever is in the hearts of the people, eventually the laws of the land are going to reflect those things. But what we must recognize is that a law in and of itself does not change people's hearts. Once again, I'm all for laws that support godly values, but ultimately you can pass as many laws as you desire and it doesn't change people's hearts. Case in point, there were over 8,000 murders in the United States last year, despite us having many, many laws that say you're not allowed to do that. See, true change comes from people's hearts being changed. See, we wanna see people's hearts change because once their hearts are changed, then we can begin to see the other things follow. See, if we see enough people's hearts change, then we'll see the culture of the land change. And if the culture changes, then we'll begin to see the laws changed and ultimately we'll actually have people obeying those laws. See, true and lasting change can only come from a change in people's hearts, which only comes from the good news of Jesus. All right, so yes, absolutely vote and vote your values, but recognize that true transformation for our culture, the transformation we want to see and the change we desire to see is only gonna happen when we take the gospel of the kingdom to it, when we take the gospel out. And this is exactly what you see in Christ's response. His focus is completely on witnessing to the gospel. And his response in verse seven is tied directly to what he goes on to tell them in verse eight. And in verse seven, he told them, don't get caught up trying to understand times and seasons. If ever there was a verse that modern evangelicals should heed, it is this one. We don't need to try to guess the time frame that the Father has planned for things. See, the witness of the church has been hurt by so many well-intentioned but misinformed believers trying to set dates that we were never meant to set. And we look foolish over and over again. And the world says, well, if they can't even get that right, why should we follow their Jesus? Jesus says, don't be worried about setting times and dates. See, I think very gently what Jesus is saying to the disciples when they ask him this question is, that's really none of your business, right? They're asking, Jesus, are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And he's kind of like, yeah, it's really none of your business. But what is our business? It's captured in verse eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, what we are to be concerned with is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be his witnesses so that the gospel of the kingdom can spread to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, don't you worry about those things. You worry about this thing. It's receiving power to be my witnesses. Power to be witnesses of who he is. See, in Matthew 28, when Christ gave the great commission, he promised that all authority was his and consequently, it's ours because we belong to him. And now he is promising that we also have access to his power. So we have access both to the authority of Christ and his power to be witnesses, ambassadors of his to fulfill his intentions for the world. 
And what I love about the book of Acts is that Luke records the mission statement from Jesus right there, power, witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Luke makes sure that we all recognize that what Christ told them to do, they actually accomplished. See, in chapters one to seven, we find the spread of the gospel throughout Jerusalem. In chapters eight to 12, we see it begin to spread outwards and Acts shows how it begins to impact Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 to 28 show how the gospel begins to spread to the ends of the earth. And as we spoke about last week, Acts ends with no formal ending because this work is to continue through each generation throughout the church age as the gospel goes forth to the ends of the earth. The worship team wants to go ahead and come on up. Isaiah 49.6. These are crazy verses. You see some of these incredible prophecies of the Old Testament. Isaiah 49.6, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nation so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. See, if you go back to that question that the disciples were asking Jesus, the disciples asked the question of Jesus, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus, in essence, answers them and says, no, I'm restoring my kingdom to all of the world. Israel is included in that, but it will now also include Gentiles, all who are willing to receive Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. This is a humongous calling on the church. And this is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what we could never do in our own strength. We've been given a mission and we are promised the power to accomplish it. And here we see that Jesus accomplished his mission. He came, he lived a sinless life. He showed us how we are to live. He died and he rose again. And what we see in these verses in Acts is that his earthly mission was now completed. And so he hands the baton to the church and he's taken back to heaven as we read in verses nine and 10. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And so as they're there with Christ, Christ begins to be taken up and it says a cloud hides him from their sight. Most scholars believe this would have been a glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God. So consequently, you understand in verse 10 where they're just like staring at it like, wow, what is this? This is amazing. But as they're intently staring at it, it says two men, angels, appear to them and provide one of the great promises of scripture that all of history is marching towards. Verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I have good news for you this morning and I have great news for you this morning. What do we wanna start with? Wanna start with the good news? Let's start with the good news first. Jesus is physically returning to this earth one day and there is a reality for our eternity that is far greater than our minds can comprehend. That is really good news. But are you ready for the great news? He is returning again to consummate a kingdom, not to establish one because he already established it when he first came. You say, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm gonna need to do a teaching on 1 Corinthians 15 one day. But for today, I want you to consider just two verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26. 
It says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15 is an amazing chapter of the Bible. I would encourage you to read it and reread it and look at it over and over again. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches on the resurrection of Christ. And it tells us that because Christ has been resurrected, all of us who are in Christ have hope for a bodily resurrection one day as well. It teaches that we will receive eternal and heavenly bodies at the time when Christ physically returns to the earth. See, Jesus is physically returning to this earth, but when he returns, he is coming to consummate his kingdom. In this teaching, we see some powerful truth in that it says Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, this is a loose quotation from Psalm 110, where God the Father tells Christ to sit at his right hand until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. See, this morning, we must recognize that Jesus is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is currently reigning in victory. That was sealed with his resurrection when he rose from the dead. This promise that we see of all enemies being made a footstool for Jesus' feet is currently now taking place. I want to challenge you with that thought this morning, because so many in the church don't believe that. So many in the church don't believe that. Now there is coming a day when Christ returns as promised in verse 11 from the book of Acts. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he will at that time destroy one last enemy and that enemy is death. And so when Christ physically returns, death will be swallowed up and all who have accepted Christ will live in a new heaven and new earth for all of eternity. But don't miss one vital piece of information there. That Christ is returning to do what? To swallow up one last enemy, which is death, which means prior to his return, all other enemies would have already been dealt with. I'm gonna let you just sit on that one for a little bit. If it tells us that Christ is returning and he is gonna swallow up one last enemy, death, The inference from that truth is the fact that all other enemies would have been swallowed up prior to that time. See, Christ is returning as the victorious King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He is coming to receive unto himself an overcoming and glorious bride, and he is returning for one. He came as a humble carpenter, laying down the privileges of his divinity at his first coming, but he is coming in power and glory as the victor to receive unto himself a victorious church that has risen in victory and has fulfilled their assignment to go forth and make disciples of all nations. We are part of the victorious bride of Christ. And though there may be difficult battles, times and seasons where we feel like the kingdom is not advancing the way it should be, we are assured in the word of God that Christ is the victor and he will return as the victorious king over a victorious kingdom. And we are called to play our part in our day to advance that kingdom to our part of the world and then to pass it on to the next generation to continue the work. And then they pass it on to the next and the next and the next. We have to take this call seriously and we must do our part. See, can Bethel right here, this church, bring the kingdom to the entire world? No, but can we bring it to our world? Absolutely, absolutely. We must play our part where we have been positioned. 
See, his kingdom is victorious. And what started with just a few has spread and will continue to spread throughout the world until he returns in glory. What started with just a few now numbers over two and a half billion people who named the name of Jesus. What had started with just a few has grown as he said his kingdom would advance. And he is, there is coming a day when he will return in victory and we will see the enemy of our souls, that foul beast Satan and his demons grovel in dread before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords before they're cast into a lake of fire for all of eternity. Recognize that this morning, that there is coming a day when Satan and his demons are gonna confront Jesus face to face and they are gonna grovel in dread before him and beg and plead before they are cast into a lake of fire where he will be tormented for eternity. That's good news this morning. He is coming as a victorious king, king for a victorious bride. He is victorious and we are victorious in him. So let us rise up as a victorious church and bring that to our family, our neighbors, our schools, our places of work, our community and this region. He is ready to empower a people who are willing to give themselves to this cause. The Holy Spirit right now is looking on with anticipation, looking at the hearts of his people saying, is there anybody that is just opening up today that I can just go rest upon? Is there anybody here this morning that is just desperate for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit who says, Father, I want you to just give me that gift that you promised once again, baptize me in the spirit, pour it out upon me today. Father, we need you desperately. He's looking from heaven right now, saying, are there any who are gonna respond to me today? Will you say yes to this call today? See, God is in heaven right now looking for a church that says we aren't here to put in time on a Sunday, but we are here to be radically transformed, empowered, and sent out. And so here's how we're gonna end today. These altars are open right now. And if you want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, if you wanna be filled, I wanna invite you to join me at these altars today, right now without hesitation, and just come forward and say, Father, fill me with your spirit once again. What I have is not enough. There is something more that you desire to do in me so that we can be everything that you have called us to be. I'm not making an emotional appeal this morning. I am simply saying, are you hungry for God? If so, he is going to meet you right here at these altars and he is going to fill you over and over and over again. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.